Welcome back to Chasing Squirrels. This morning, I am talking with Deborah Ostring. Deborah, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. So as I've mentioned to you in our on-ramp and I've, I've mentioned to others, I would appreciate if you could throw down a little bit of, a, a little bit of an introduction for yourself. Uh, my name is Deborah Ostring. I am an educator and an administrator in a large school board north of Toronto. And primarily, I'm a wife and mother, and, uh, but I am an administrator. But I do value my role as a wife and a mother first. I love that. And that was a big part of the on-ramp I always consider to be kind of protected territory. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to direct quote. I don't have any recordings of it. There's no snippets where I'm like, hey, Deborah, remember in the intro you said this? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or myself for that matter. Um, What I I dig about the big part of the on-ramp, though, was that shape of um, kind of making EDU stuff dance with school with uh like life stuff mm-hmm. and um you know finding the time in the summer to drop into a chat about school is uh you know it, it's not simple so i love that you're leading with that you know sort of like the family connection on the front end because like i mentioned to you at any point i could hear something crash upstairs and <laughs> um yeah just for any listeners like i've got this little corner recording studio in my basement um, and it's quiet as long as it's not. So, um, yeah, it's that uh, you're sort of listening for the sounds upstairs. It's like, it's like, is that a happy cry or is that a sad <laughs> cry? So um, before we get rolling too deep into it, I would love to hear, um, you've mentioned educator, administrator. Um, curious, how did EDU find you? How did school, you know, oh. becoming the educator... If we, if you, if you dig back, roll back the tape, how did, uh, who found whom? <laughs> Interesting. I always say that if you knew me in high school and you know me now, you'd be very surprised that I was in education and even more surprised that I'm an administrator. Um, I didn't like high school. I, I wasn't a very confident student. Um, but I did well enough to get into university and my older sister is a teacher as well. And she was teaching by the time I was in university and seemed to be enjoying it and um, finding value in it. And so as I was going through university and landed on being an English major with a love of literature and figuring out what I was going to do with that, I decided that education is where I wanted to be. And I knew I wanted to work with teenagers um, specifically because I did not like high school and I wanted to try and make it a different experience. And uh, so I found education through modeling of my sister and then uh, taught for two years in the States where I grew up and then met a cute Canadian and came up here and have been teaching up here ever since and uh, have really um, developed a passion for and an interest in students with uh, various learning needs. So I've spent most of my career working in special education or working in uh, situations where students were at risk in some way. And then I was challenged by uh, administrators that I worked with and um, others in my professional realm who encouraged me to seek out opportunities for leadership. So I did so and took it one step at a time. And here I am as a vice principal. I've had that. I've had that conversation before. I'm, 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 I'm kindred. I'm a kindred spirit with that, that high school experience. Not, not to the point where I, 
like I would say that I had any sort of wall that I put up against school. Like I, it wasn't that I necessarily didn't want to be there. I didn't want to take my courses. Um, if I had to put it purely on an engagement scale for me, it was that I just, I preferred working in restaurants. Like there was something mm. I caught, I caught that, uh, that bug very, very early. So in grade nine, my birthday is late. So you had to be at the time, like, I think you had to be, I think you had to be 14, whatever the age was, I was a year short of it. So it was the summer just before grade nine, I applied to work. You remember the restaurant Golden Griddle? Does that? I do. So yep. yeah. So a buddy of mine who is already of age, he applied and he got a busboy job and he's like, yeah, you should come and come and do this. And so I did it too, lied about my age, like <laughs> said I was older, got the job, but it was interesting. I caught the bug. And I caught the, the, like really gra- held on to that energy of, of work and being paid for work. And it was funny what that kind of, what that morphed into was, um, my time at school became kind of the distraction. It was an inverted, like it sort of flipped, it flipped the, uh, the, the formula a little bit when often, you know, some of the students that I've worked with right now, they're like, oh yeah, you know, Friday night, I have to. I'm working the whole weekend. I was on the other side, like, oh, I can't wait. And I was just kind of tolerating my classes. I knew I had to sort of hold my, my B, you know, my low B to keep family and people off my back, basically, I guess that what it came down to. Um, And it's, it's interesting because I've talked with other people that um, are teachers, but don't see their path from, they don't see the path to landing. It was sort of like a surprise of becoming mm-hmm. a teacher. What, um, can you speak to what it was? What, what was it about the high school experience that um, wasn't connecting with you or that, you know, looking back on that experience, it's like, yeah, there was no path to becoming a teacher. What was it about it? Um, I think I just didn't like what I was learning. It was very prescriptive mm. and not very relevant to me. And um, it felt the sort of different stratospheres within the school social scene. Um, was dictated by how engaged you were in school and how what your marks were and where your path was. So I sort of rejected that and I didn't want to be identified as one thing or another and and uh, maybe wasn't a very confident student either. So I didn't maybe put myself out there as much as I could have, but I, just, I didn't find the learning to be very relevant. There were maybe a few classes here and there along the way that I enjoyed more than others, but I, I can't say that I really plugged into anything in an academic sense that sort of drove my passion or lit anything in me. And I think that's sad because I think as, as youth, teenagers, there's so much passion and properly directed or engaged, it can be very powerful. So yeah, it's more, more the, I guess the engagement with the learning, I just didn't really see the relevance of it. And Do you, do you find yourself drawing, like, do you draw forward from those experiences? Is, is that a part of your, sort of part of the the fabric of your operating system now like are you is it are those experiences creating sort of like a mindfulness in you now as far as what you sort of watch for an engagement um or is it sort is that part sort of settled it's sort of like new learning that's sort of keeping you aware in your role as an educator as administrator are you still sort of drawing back there and saying yeah like i remember kid i kid in front of me i remember when i was kind of wrestling through this back in the day what's what's that what's the driver there are you are you going back in time to sort of like energize yourself maybe a little uh in some ways i i always say that you who of us is the same person we were when we were 16 
Hmm. Um, we've all evolved so much and had different life experiences um, contributing to who we are today. And when we look at the 16-year-old, 17-year-olds and older and younger before us, if we are to judge them by the moment we're in with them, that's really denying that evolution that they're going to face. So to really see beyond what we're facing in front of our desks or in our current experience with the student. And I, I think about that and think, okay, what, what is, what's driving that student and what, what does that student um, find exciting and how can we channel that into the learning today to help them on their path of who they evolve into, who they develop into, um, whether it be personally, professionally, academically. So I, I'm very interested in project-based learning or inquiry model learning. Um, I'm very interested in how that bumps up against the fact that we still have 10 months in a school year and a curriculum to get through and five months, at least in the high school, five months in which to teach that curriculum and expectations to hit. So how do we marry um, the student-driven, uh, self-directed, inquiry-based learning within the construct of a curriculum um, that you have to hit? So some courses it's a little bit more straightforward. Some courses, it's maybe more challenging, but I'm, I'm really intrigued by and interested in teachers that do that really well, or at least experiment with it and try it and take risks. Um, being a special education teacher or teaching in community classes or um, a learning strategies class, I maybe had a little bit more play with, with that and, and really making learning relevant to the student and their needs for what they needed post-secondary. Um, so it's, it's uh, I think I'm very interested and intrigued by that. So, Coming through faculty when you were, I guess you sort of mentally committed, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to become an educator. Mm -hmm. Were, mm -hmm. were you clear right from the get go that you wanted to land at secondary? Um, yes. You were. Why, why is mm -hmm. that? What was it? What was the, what was the motivator there? I just, I never liked, um, I guess I never felt drawn to working with younger children. Of course, I did babysitting and, and so forth when I was a teenager, but it, I can't say it excited me. Um, can't say I felt especially drawn to it. Um, so when I thought about uh, learning and in, in my career, I was more drawn to older students. I also I was an English major and I love literature and teaching literature and literary theory and and uh, in my in my previous incarnation professionally, so I I knew that was more possible in high school. So it, when I when I was certified to teach in the states, I grew up in Virginia and did my training in Virginia. Uh, the certification worked a little bit differently. You were certified either K to six or seven to twelve. So I was certified seven to twelve. So I started teaching in a middle school. Um, and then when I moved to Ontario, um, it was basically high school or a K to eight model. So I. Um, would have liked to maybe spend more time in the middle years, but when I moved to Ontario, is is pretty much nine to twelve is where I where I landed. Yeah, I have a similar. I get that. I have a similar sort of thread to me landing in high school. It it in some ways, the fact that I was so hospitality became the mainstay when I finished university. It was the through line right from grade nine, mm -hmm. like I mentioned. So it was always the thing that was kind of financing my life and it financed mm -hmm. all the things that I kind of wanted to do and uh, you know it kind of afforded me stuff in high school and then in university I was working in restaurants and uh, the university uh, you know events on campus and then a, a roadhouse in town so it was always I always had again I'm doing post-secondary in the same way that I did secondary mm -hmm. kind of tolerating getting the degree 
<laughs> and looking forward to being in the kitchen, you know, that night or, or work in the bar. Um, but coming out, so when the conversation happened around moving away from hospitality, so I was uh, working restaurants in Toronto and sort of thinking to myself, you know, I want, it's time for a change. And it was, it was my spouse that mentioned, well, why don't you think about teaching? And I was like, uh, I don't know. But then when I, it, and it was funny, because I was like, why would they, I was falling more on that. Why would they take me? Like, I've been thumbing my nose at education pretty much like since you know since high school like really like and then it ended up they were looking for tech teachers so at that time mm-hmm. at the particular sort of moment in time they're looking for tech teachers and I had an, uh, an undergraduate degree so it was it was it was quite simple to sort of move in but it was the mm-hmm. tech that kind of drove where I was going to end up because the ability to teach hospitality in itself only existed in the high school. Um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of spin now though, where I've landed now working in an ASD, uh, community classroom, mm-hmm. because now I'm doing hospitality in an ASD community classroom. And it's not that I'm suggesting, um, you know, it's this, the things that I could have learned about trying to teach hospitality and culinary, if I had gone into middle school mm-hmm. would be incredibly useful right now to me. Because I'm having to work backwards from a neurotypical classroom and sort of working on a plan that sort of accommodates a lot more uh, diversity of ways of thinking. And I'm thinking, it's just funny how the loops come around. So starting in a space, because I I could have, at the time, I probably could have figured out a way to teach in middle school or or elementary school. But it just seemed like if you want to teach cooking, you got to be in the high school for a tech class. And I was, it, I hear that in almost in what you're saying. Like, if you want to teach the classics and sort of go hardcore on the literature, mm-hmm. you got to go to high school. Mm-hmm. So thinking back on, you just had this idea. So you're gonna you're you're, you're gonna go to high school. Any uh, and and also, you saying like, teaching wasn't necessarily the space that you're going to aim for. Um, when did the reality set in that, okay, so this is, this is the, um, it's first day of class. It's September. It's August. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm walking into a classroom in September. Um, sometimes I put it to the grade, I put it to grade nines before I'm like, at what point after grade eight, did you realize you weren't going back to yeah. Mr. Jones's class anymore? You, you do have to move forward into this next space. Um, what was that like that first year? Um, it was exciting. It was new territory. Um, I, I felt prepared uh, in the sense that my teacher training was a concurrent program in the States, went to Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, where I, near where I grew up. And uh, the part of the program there was you very graduated as far as your engagement and like a, leading up to student teaching. So we had certain number of weeks where we were in a school observing and then another certain number of weeks where we were doing a practicum, which was part observing, part engaging, teaching, lesson planning and assessment. And then we had two full semesters, I believe, or sorry, two halves of a semester um, in two different schools as student teaching. So we were in schools quite a bit. So I felt uh, I had had an opportunity to get my feet wet and and felt um, prepared. And then I graduated because I changed my major and focused on teaching. 
I graduated a semester later than I would have. So I student, or excuse me, I substitute taught, supply taught for the spring semester. So I had the benefit of having a couple of consecutive long-term occasional opportunities. So again, it allowed me to get a bit of a context and a comfort level in a non-threatening way. I had, I, I had the opportunity to lean on my colleagues in those long-term uh, supply teaching positions. And so when I started uh, in a contract position the following fall, um, I was very excited and eager. And we taught on a team, which I thought was great. It was in a middle school and we had uh, pods or teaching teams uh, made up of each different discipline, uh, language arts, math, science, et cetera, and with, with a lead teacher who was more seasoned. So again, I felt very supported and I had someone to lean on. Um, still very scary in some ways. You're now responsible for this group of students and it was a um, definitely fall and you pick yourself back up and you, you try again. And, and uh, but it, I, it was, it was exciting and a little scary, but, uh, but I felt prepared. So I can't say that I was um, nerve wracked or anything like that. I, I now say, you know, 26 years in, I believe now I've been in education. I often say whether it's working with students with special needs and, uh, or with autism or the students I taught in my first couple of years, I, I wish I could go back and apologize to them because I could do it better now <laughs> knowing what I know now. And, um, so I look back and sometimes cringe and sometimes smile. I think about how I did things or what I did and, and now knowing more and, maybe have a little bit more maturity and, and more skills and, and uh, more confidence. I would have done things differently a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'd like to expand on that. Uh, if I could, if the, the question that that'll swing back your way is um, mm-hmm. anything in particular come to mind that you'd like to apologize for, but I'll mm-hmm. lead, I'll, I'll throw in. Cause I, I'm, I remember my first year and there was something about, like I moved very quickly from, I moved very quickly from the thinking about what am I going to do next to shifting out of the restaurant. Actually, I was working in the restaurant. I was still managing a restaurant that I was at and doing um, faculty, faculty of ed at the same time. It was sort of like school during the day. And then working, I, this model kept on playing out right up until, right up until becoming a teacher. Um, and I remember moving through the one-year program, and then one of the practical placements that I had, I was offered a job right away. So I was just, I had done a practicum. There was like less than a month off, and then with the staffing cycle, I was offered something right away. So I, two months later, I was in front of a classroom. Uh, in front of students teaching hospitality. Um, I was also teaching the intro uh, intro to anthro course, the HSP course. And in that first year, I, I had a real hard time figuring out what was going wrong in the class, like why I couldn't make things happen. And that's really what, I'm gonna, that's quite specific language. I couldn't make things happen. And I, it, I only realized about halfway through second semester that I was trying to make students into staff members Hmm. and my, my, my compassion and empathy, I think was, was kind of like, it was just at a drip. Like I was really, so I was managing the students. That's what it was. I was like managing, Hmm. I was running a restaurant and it wasn't until I kind of opened up that space that I realized I had to kind of play differently. And part of, Part of what was 
really trippy in that first year is that the, some many of the students, many of the students that I was working with reminded me of staff members. Like I would, <laughs> I would think to myself, honestly, I would think to myself as I'm sort of going through um, what I wouldn't have called, what I would now call, let's say a counseling or a mentorship moment. I would have then just called it, I was like managing this moment. And, you know, the student that I'm looking at, I'm like, uh, you're, you're, I remember you, I know you, you're, you're Mike, you're the younger version mm-hmm. of Mike from the restaurant that I was just working at. And it was amazing how, um, how trapdoor that became, like it really trapped my thinking because then I was like, okay, how did I work with Mike in this moment? And I'm looking at like a 15, 16 year old, like the, the tools are not, the toolkit's different. So I had a mm-hmm. real hard time, um, that first year of teaching, like I, I, I'm, I would believe that um, I probably floated between entertainer, um, <laughs> hardcore chef, and just kind of like, kind of cold, like just kind of coming off a little bit cold. Because mm-hmm. I just, I didn't, I didn't have, I think part of it was the expediency of my path into the classroom. Like it was so quick. Yeah. Um, I yeah. could, I could have done better. I could have learned more. Over that summer, I took my spec ed one. So I was still learning. Over the summer, I thought this is a space that um, it was an area of learning that I didn't know I had an interest in, but it was one of the few AQs you could take when you like have mm-hmm. no experience in the classroom. Right. So I thought I'm going to get a little bit more. This will help me. I was also aware that uh, the faculty I went to offered nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. I had one teacher that had mentioned it was like a two-day kind of seminar talking about um, supporting special education. And it kind of piqued my interest, the way that they taught and the way they talked about EDU. I thought, you know what? I want to learn some more. So I thought, let's get that AQ. But, you know, two months later, I'm in the classroom with nothing's rooted. So that was me, entertainer or like, or yeah, manager, cold, cold. Um, How's about you? What uh, (laughs) apologies, teachers from, from students from a while back, I'd like to formally apologize for something that I did. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think early, earliest in my career was very being very conscious of curriculum. I had a curriculum to get through and these expectations and this is what these education experts said how to do it and what to do and when to do, rather than and, it, and that being my focus rather than I have, you know, 30 humans in front of me with 30 different realities and needs. And I'm teaching them first. So, you know, as I've evolved as a teacher, I, I now say this as a teacher and I say this as a, an administrator, we teach students, not curriculum. We teach students first and we need to engage them first. So I, I, I wish I could go back and, and do things over that I look at the students first and how to enter them into the curriculum instead of how to take this curriculum and pound it into the students, right? So, so um, I, I think that piece, because I, I felt very accountable. Um, we had a curriculum and, and we had a very different uh, teacher report, performance appraisal um, in the States where I taught, where we were visited um, uh, unannounced by our department head and our administrator uh, for formal evaluations or formal assessments. We had to submit our lesson plans, we had to uh, regularly. So there was a lot of accountability for how we were doing things and what boxes we were ticking and, and how we were delivering curriculum. So I felt very accountable to the curriculum and to uh, to my administrators. So I think that pressure um, perhaps contributed to my um, pounding of curriculum rather than looking at how do I deliver this curriculum to these 30 humans in front of me and, and where they are in their learning and their lives. So that piece is from early on. I think then as I became um, 
a special education teacher and working in community classes, similar to you, I had a certain level of training experience. I had, you know, I've always, always worked with students with learning disabilities. I had my spec ed one, two, three, and um, go into, and it continued to learn by going to seminars and workshops and reading and so forth. And then teaching in a community class and then a few years later, discovering structured teaching and um, supportive students with, with autism. When structured teaching is approached, and you probably know of it, teaching in an ASD class where it's, it's a lot of visuals and structure and schedules and building on transitions and so forth. And, and the more I learned about that, the more I tried to embed it in my teaching. Then I became, um, and then when I moved on to be a regional teacher working with uh, students with behavioral needs, it's like, oh, I want to go back and try that now with all that I learned in those regional roles, I wanted to go back and become a teacher again and or be, be in the classroom again, I should say, and implement those things and, and, and try those things out. So I wish I could go back to my early days of special education and, and um, implement these uh, structured teaching methods and uh, in, in a more, I, I did it some, but I, I wish I had the opportunity to go back and do it in a way that was maybe more intentional and uh, expand on what I was doing. There's something interesting as you're you're sort of talking about the the different uh, performance appraisal system mm -hmm. stateside, um, and th the language around expectations versus standards, and I think mm -hmm. that's still mm -hmm. that's the American lingo, right? Like yep. you're the standards, and I and it's funny how if that sets the soil for how mm -hmm. what grows out of it, I can see how our our language, the language that we use in our um, in our province, is it's it sets a different direction that or a different possible direction because there are individuals that would um, adhere to expectations in much the same way that you've experienced in a previous um, in a previous version that that idea that it is it's the check boxes to get through, but it mm -hmm. is interesting to it's interesting um, and part of this is me sort of playing in you know, the, the some of the digital professional PLN spaces that I'm in, um, I'm constantly having to recontextualize, like kind of pull myself back when, whenever I'm in a conversation, because I really don't know, I don't know the American system in the way that I know the Ontario system. Mm -hmm. And I know even in saying the American system, um, I could say the district system or the state system, but it strikes me that there's more harmony state to state in regards to sort of like, you know, the standard language, then let's uh -huh. say with us throughout Canada. Side note, crack up. I love going to Costco and they have, you can get a book that's like uh, a math primer and it says Canadian, Canadian expectations. And I right. think to myself, you know, it's, I, I don't know who makes that, but like, there's no such thing. They're, they don't work like that. They're yeah. Provincial. But yeah, the idea of the standards and expectations kind of shift uh, intention, mm -hmm. I think. And I think uh, my sister's still an educator in, the, in Virginia and in conversations with her and, and again, my understandings of, of the variability and um, districts and states and, and uh, their education and assessment models. I think the, the differences are, if I could overgeneralize, that the learning in Ontario and the learning in maybe British Columbia and the learning in Texas and Virginia, New York, there's similar learning happening, but the accountability to the expectations to the curriculum and to your um, to your governing body, I guess, might be what's different and how you're how you're 
administrators or your superintendents or higher ups are enforcing and how they're communicating those expectations and the and what students have to demonstrate and by what means. So whether it's um, I know we in Ontario don't always uh, agree with or see eye to eye on the amount of uh, provincial assessments that happen and standardized tests that happen. Um, but there's some districts in the U.S. There's a lot more, and there's a, they're, they're higher stakes than what we have in Ontario. So I, I think that the mechanisms by which students and teachers have to demonstrate the meeting of those standards or expectations um, is is more where the variability lies, I think, and where some of the stress and pressure lies. In my in my overgeneralized um, armchair <laughs> observer of what's yeah, happening. well, and and just to, to sort of piggyback on that, anyone who's checking out you know, our conversation right now and is considering considering sort of dipping into uh, even using something like Twitter or a professional learning network that is digital. Uh, and it's taken me a while to kind of develop this sensibility, like where I need to do more work is asking questions about what is, how is your district constructed? Like what are, what are the sort of the, the guiding rules there to try and understand it? And then starting to get some shape of how certain hot topics are popping up in your feed because it's really mm -hmm. easy it's really easy to sort of misappropriate a, a, a conversation especially if i solely use an ontario context to understand what's going on, on in somebody else's school mm -hmm. board or district so i found myself recently kind of um asking people asking them flat out, do you want to do this in an open combo or can we DM or email? Because I have very specific, right now I'm in a very a, a very specific conversation with someone that I've met via Twitter in the States, at, uh, in San Francisco, asking them about hiring practices in their district. Mm. Because mm -hmm. some of the posts just, some of their posts, you, you know, individuals, you kind of go like, there's something about that post. And then everyone kind of dog piles on it, comment, 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 comment. Mm -hmm. But you kind of go back and like, but there's something about that post that just, that, that's not how it is in my context. Right. And you can just kind of move on or drop your context on it. But I'm kind of looking to kind of tease that apart. So I think that's really cool that you have you have a a one-to-one -one <laughs> learning professional <laughs> learning network with uh within your family to be able to kind of like, you know, kind of mm -hmm. put mirrors and windows there to sort of like figure out like not only what is different, but why it's different and how it how it became to be different. Um, mm, absolutely. I don't know if I mentioned, yeah, I, I think I mentioned the, the, in the on-ramp talking about going to Orlando and actually getting to meet face-to-face -face someone that's in my learning network. So I got to spend some in real life, uh, time mm -hmm. with, uh, with this, te this teacher. And part of our conversation was about some of the, the hiring practices in Florida as, as this individual mm -hmm. has experienced it within their sort of like path. But uh, he was also addressing, you know, some of the statewide rules and regulations about being hired. And I was just mind blown. I was like, wow, like mm. it was so, so different than what I had experienced. Mm. But I can't pass judge. Like there's no judgment. It was just, you just take it yeah. in. You're not getting to any mm -hmm. judgment conclusion on it. There's nothing summative. It's just like, that's how it is there. Right. And I was kind of, I was sort of mind blown. But I'm digging that right now to be able to sort of see behind it. Mm -hmm. My sister and I have to work very hard to not talk shop when we're together because the conversation generally lands in our respective experiences and realities in education. And I've taught most of my career in Ontario mm. and she's taught her entire career in Virginia with a little bit in Florida for a couple of years. But um, so, yeah, just com comparing and sharing and looking at the 
similarities and, and challenges. And, and at the end of the day, I think kids are kids and um, the realities in which we work and in which we teach. So it's, it's, it's really, sometimes we have to like force ourselves to not talk shop <laughs> and, and talk about life. <laughs> what's her, um, what's her area of focus in teaching? She's a library and media specialist at, at a middle school. Uh, she previously taught history and government, uh, but is really passionate about uh, the library and uh, research, uh, teaching students research and thinking skills, uh, having a very diverse and equitable uh, representation of her learners and the, and the world within the library. So she's she's very busy. She's done a lot of work over the summer. She's a lifelong learner. Uh, she, Quite amazing. Yeah, the the risk I can totally see the risk. You know, getting drilling too far down into the edu combos. The second layer to that, like the one to one. You know, cool. You two mm-hmm. are texting each other. Your phone calling. Like if it's just kind of you, you two in the room. You know, mm-hmm. it's always good to get to the other stuff. But that's also like that's cool too to be able to share that. For me, it's always the problem where, you know, myself and my spouse are both educators. It's when you mm-hmm. flock together. <laughs> And, and <laughs> other people in the room and you start to realize, yeah, 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 we should, we should, we should talk about something else. And then the problem right. will be like, yeah, totally. Yeah. That totally reminds me of something that happened at a staff meeting today when we were talking about not talking about like, oh my gosh, it just goes and goes and goes. There's just exactly. <laughs> so much space. Mm-hmm. How did, um, how did the, the, the shift of focus, or maybe it was just the emergence of taking on more, um, more special education, uh, portfolio space in, how did that, how did that, how did that kind of happen to sort of shift? I'll, I'll say, Mm -hmm. I'll say shift away from literature focus, let's say, but again, I don't have the view. Like what did it look like from the inside? Well, uh, when I was teaching in the middle school in Virginia, I had students who, as we all do, students in our classes with, um, an IEP with learning needs, with emotional challenges, uh, trauma in their lives, and so forth. And I realized I needed more. I needed more in my toolbox to uh, to teach them effectively and to understand their learning needs uh, well. So uh, when I when we moved to Ontario, um, I, I did my master's degree pretty much right away. Uh, moving here, and then in, in curriculum and instruction, and then I went in and my special education qualifications, again, so that I could be better equipped in how to teach and, and support students with learning, uh, with varying learning needs. And so I did my specialist, one, two, or my one, two, three, my specialist, uh, one, sorry, my one, my two, and my specialist, and um, just fully enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the challenge. I enjoyed sort of the learning of what a learning disability is, what are the uh, compared to intellectual disability, how is that diagnosed? Who's diagnosing it? What does that mean for their education? What does that mean for them as learners? Um, what does it mean for them and the opportunities within a school? And what does it mean for us as teachers and our understanding of what a learning disability is and what their what students' potential is? And I always I've always said, well, you know, we have, a, have an industrialized model of education. Our our model of education in North America has not changed since the Industrial Revolution, really. And um, it, you know, we produce widgets, uh, if I could oversimplify, and if you're not a widget, you don't fit into a mold, education can be very hard, learning can be very hard for you. So looking at how do we vary our instructional and assessment practices or the structure of our day uh, so that we can best support learners so that they can be the best that they can be uh, moving into the world after high school. 
So again, it was a pretty selfish reason that I went into special education because I wanted to be a better teacher. I wanted to serve students better. And, and so, and that just led me on a, a path of continued learning and engagement. And, and I wanted to work with higher needs students. Um, so I was, I was teaching when I, my children were small, I taught part-time and I just worked in the mornings, but I always wanted to work with higher needs students. And my opportunities to do that as a part-time teacher were limited just because of the nature of a community class and the needs that a community class had and a school had. So I eventually, when my students were, or sorry, when my own children were a little bit older, I went back to work full-time and started teaching in a community class and um, just read and learned and, and tried to really engage as much as I could. And, but it was also realizing that the students that we have in community classes or in a learning strategies class here in Ontario um, were the same students you might have in your straight curriculum or your quote unquote regular classes. So the strategies and the knowledge that you're using as a special education teacher are going to be um, valuable to you in a quote unquote regular math class or English class because those strategies and techniques are going to reach a, reach a broad spectrum of students. So I just continued on that path of learning and then at a certain point, I, again, I wanted a more of a challenge. I wanted something different. I was reaching that itch in my career where something, you know, I, I needed more, I needed learning, I needed something, I needed change, but I didn't know what that change was going to be. And then an opportunity presented itself in our board to be a regional special education teacher working with students with um, highly aggressive or self-injurious behaviors. And I was fortunately successful in that um, and interviewing for that posting. And I stayed on a regional team for about five years either as uh, first as a regional teacher and then as a special education consultant. And, and then I went from being a consultant to being an administrator, which I still have a passion for special ed. One of my play, favorite places to be in the school is to walk into a community class and hang out with those students and those teachers and see what they're doing. And so that's where I am. I like the, um, I like the little bit of the call out as far as the, the sort of special education delivery model or sorry, education model. My brain mm -hmm. makes the connections to impact on special education delivery and um, how, you know, when, when learning strategies courses are designed, they're designed with um, supporting the kid and also fulfilling, s fulfilling the expectations of the, uh, the guidance curriculum. Um, Mm -hmm. We, you know, there's the, the idea of differentiating that course and uh, bending it and lifting it and bringing it to the student and sort of making sure that uh, um, you find, I guess, a, I don't know, a reasonably comfortable space of integrity with the course has always, it's been a challenge for me, sort of like trying to figure mm -hmm. out what that, what that course currently looks like, what it could look like what it should look like and why I never was never able to make it exactly what I wanted it to, mm -hmm. to look like. It's that mm -hmm. constant loop of uh, self-reflection I find with the courses. I can remember a few years back, it might be almost coming up on a decade. I was at, um, I was at a talk and there was an individual there that uh, was a leader in a fairly prominent, I would say a very prominent, um, uh, learning, disabilities, learning disabilities advocacy group within our jurisdiction. And at the end of part of the, at the end of the talk, I approached the individual and I asked just about their observations. They had been involved with this advocacy group for 
um, a good chunk of time and had done leadership within that group. So I thought, you know, this is a good resource to touch base. They were partnered with uh, school boards and also local agencies. So I asked the individual, I said, you know, in your sort of observations in the time that you've been associated with this particular association, I said, how, how would you sort of, what comments would you have about the actual delivery and structure of, of learning strategies? Like how have you observed it evolved and changed and um, you know, does it need, need to be shaken out a little bit? And, and their, their response, I'm, I'm chop, I'm truncating it quite a bit, but at the heart of the response is that it hasn't changed in a long time. Like there isn't, and it was, it was just kind of like, it was just kind of flat the the statement. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily saying that it should change. Um, that it was in need of change, but the observation was that it hadn't changed. Um, and then it's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of people need to, there's, there's always the handshakes and other people you got to meet. So it's sort of like, okay, I got, I didn't get mm-hmm. to do any follow-up, but what is your, you know, in the challenge of designing learning strategies, classrooms. And I mean, we could extend that. I think, I think what's interesting is that I think if, if, if we look at learning strategies, classes against community classes, that the community classes, and this is my new experience, because now I'm in, I'm mm-hmm. directly involved in a community class, and I look at the supports and and the 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 um, vibrancy is the wrong word, but it's really there's a there's an energy and there's a, a a design element to it that I find like I have a lot of learning to do, but I find mm-hmm. like it's pretty rich. Like the resources and the the uh, the people and the resources that I have access to are are pretty dynamic. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of put what that experience looks like right now in a portfolio against my experience with learning strategies classes. And it's interesting when I think about the diversity of community classroom design in the different schools that I've been associated with and the similarity of learning strategies design, considering the different contexts that I've been in. Mm -hmm. And I just, I kind of, I just, it's more, I'm, I'm presenting that idea to you, but what, um, what are some of the cool, you know, in your mind, like that's some of the cool elements of design or delivery that could be a part of learning strategies, or maybe you kind of noticed somewhere and you thought, yeah, I would love to try and like get that rolling sort of what mm-hmm. is it's kind of catching your attention or did catch your attention that could kind of give a little bit of that vibrancy to learning strategies class. Now I put myself, I am, I am a part of the cohort that is also, I'm going to say, in my measurement, not, not designing learning strategies classes very well. Like I, I, I'm a part of this. I am a part of this cohort that's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to propose things, kind of dance and, and sort of like shake things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But from your experience, were there, there are elements that you're thinking, yeah, I just wish that we could kind of get to this with the learning strategies classes. Mm-hmm. I think speaking for myself, um, Teaching learning strategies, there's a there's a mandated ministry curriculum, mm-hmm. or there's a there's a board focus, and so you have resources available to you when you're just stepping into teaching special education and teaching learning strategies class. That can be very comforting. I have a curriculum I can follow. I have teachers before me who've taught this class. I can lean on them, share their experiences and resources, and I can deliver this curriculum um, as it's laid out. And and also be responsive to the students before me. You have a smaller group of students. You have maybe class and you can sort of meld between meld between the uh sorry life is happening right now my husband just walked in so um <laughs> sorry 
the um, you can meld you can go between or, or meld the teaching the curriculum and responding to the needs of the students before you, and you're. I think in the learning strategies class, you're, you can find opportunities for original, originality, uh, for bringing in local context and student context and, and really making something that it's uh, with a, in responsive to the students' needs as well as leaning on that curriculum. In teaching a community, a community class, there is no ministry mandated curriculum, which can be very comforting or be very, uh, very sorry, be very intimidating or be very liberating. Uh, I chose the liberating route because uh, while we didn't have a you know a binder to pull off of a shelf and teach, you had students IEPs and you had their personalities and you had their post-secondary goals, their families' post-secondary goals for them, and you could really cater uh, to the students' needs and and make it very um, multidisciplinary and and thematic and and teach really new and exciting things um, that interested yourself and kept you excited as well as res was responsive to the needs. Um, so some things that I've I've seen recently that excite me about learning strategies is uh, the focus on uh, math skills within learning strategies. So there was a pilot program uh, a couple of years ago regionally. Uh, I believe your school was involved, and uh, learning strategies classes were taught with a math focus. So uh, again, with the provincial and board focus on math skills. Um, that was a very natural fit. And so uh, curriculum consultants and special education consultants were working with the classroom teachers uh, together in a collaborative way to bring in uh, sort of the, the learning skills, uh, the broader learning skills that, uh, that and how they tied into math and teaching math and how they then could be generalized into other areas of learning and other curriculum pieces. So uh, that's kind of new and interesting. I, I liked, I, I really enjoyed being a part of that. Um, and then, but again, learning strategies, I think it depends on the teacher and the school and, and, and the students before you and how you're going to structure your class. Because teaching learning strategies, you have that um, opportunity to structure your classes maybe in a way that's um, uh, appropriate for the context in which you're teaching. Uh, we at our school, I'm not sure if other schools do this, I'm sure they do, we have an English and learning strategies year-long program, so that it's two teachers, and uh, they sometimes co-teach or team, team teach. Sometimes it's two separate entities. It depends on how uh, that semester and that teaching pair prefers to do it. Um, so the English and the English and the, and the learning strategies are are combined with more of obviously a literacy focus. So, but I I, uh, I I wish that learning strategies were maybe taught more generally across. Uh, all grades, uh, because you, you can, uh, students typically take it in grade nine, grade 10, and then the uh, enrollment drops off a little bit for grade 11 and 12 learning strategies. But uh, I think the skills and concepts taught in those uh, environments, as well as being a smaller environment with fewer students, is very supportive of learners. I, I love the fact that, um, so last year I was, I was teaching grade 12 learning strategies and um, just the way the schedules have fallen, I'm flipping and I'm doing grade nine learning strategies this upcoming year. If the, yeah. my schedule stays the same. Um, and what's, you know, I last, I taught grade nine learning strategies. The last time I taught it was uh, in my first year of teaching in a special education department. So 
uh, well, I'm in my 15th year of teaching. So this would have been over a decade ago that I, I last taught the grade nine learning strategies. Now, between that point and this point, I mean, I've had a lot of different learning experiences within the board and, and different, you know, ways to learn about how learning strategies overlap with, um, you know, wellness and how learning mm -hmm. strategies overlap with some of our um, progressive discipline uh, mm -hmm. spaces. Like I've had a lot of really cool time to kind of simmer. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really excited to come back and, and play with the nines again. So mm -hmm. there, there is an element of selfishness in me asking you this question. Cause I'm, 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 I'm mining your brain a little bit mm -hmm. uh, because part of it, just before we left for the school year, there's another teacher that's also uh, has a section we sat down and we just kind of we started to map out loosely um what a what an updated version could look like mm -hmm. and we started looking at it um thematically as mm -hmm. in what are what are some of the areas that we would like to be able to put I, we thought thematically gave us some of the mobility to address mm -hmm. the differentiation and the students the humans that are in front of us in the classroom so That'll be um, mid-August when we're touching base again to start putting some more pieces in place. That's really interesting because when I, I uh, one thing I enjoyed about teaching a community class is teaching things thematically because it allowed for so many entry points. Because as you know, in a community class, there's a wide a variety, a quite the disparity of learners in your, mm -hmm. in your in the classroom. So it provided entry points for all learners, and you could scaffold uh, the concepts and skills and such. Um, so it's exciting that you're going to be doing that with with learning strategies as well. And you mentioned uh, wellness, and and I think that's a that's an great area of need for all of us no matter how we are engaged in the school is, is managing our wellness and and I guess the best people that we can be to to approach our day so and how that how we how we embed that in schools for students to in the in the very different reality in which our students are living being constantly in front of a screen and the impact that has on their on their brains and their attention and their learning and and um your engagement with social media and so forth, which can be very exciting and powerful, but it has can a different studies and news articles have shown it can have an adverse effect on 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 us as well. So how do we how do we inject um, seamlessly and with intentionality uh, wellness into our day for our students um, to teach them life skills and the social skills and the coping skills and the self care skills that um, hopefully they're learning at home and are modeled at home as well. But if they're not, how do we, how do we support our students in that so they can really engage in the learning and, 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 uh, and be well and, and manage. Some of our students have very hard lives and, and, and have lived through some hard things. So how do we, with intentionality, embed uh, wellness and uh, equity and uh, care in our instructional and assessment practices so that we're supporting our students and um, helping them be successful in all the ways that matter. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's interesting because there was some of the, some of my the the structured teaching bleeding over into mm -hmm. skill based, kind of like a little bit like competency based um, mm -hmm. activities for the students, and we, because part of the you know, you and I even you've shared wonderful resources with me that idea of task analysis mm -hmm. um being able to break break down and further break down uh the steps that lead to 
you know, a successful product or conversation, like that outcome, I brought that into the conversation as far as the, the, the grade nine course. And we kind of landed mm-hmm. on, we started talking about the different skills that we would like, we would like to support for our grade nine cohort coming in mm-hmm. um, stuff, even as what seems as straightforward as navigation and, and orientation within the school how to make uh, you know appointments, where's the cafeteria, what does it mean mm-hmm. to pay for your own foods. So looking at really breaking, looking at the, and it's kind of, it's frustrating and it's really small work, but going through those steps, I think opened up our thinking about what um, some of the competencies that we would like students to feel a little bit more comfortable with coming out of the grade nine course. Mm-hmm. So definitely I'm, um, I'll keep you looped on that because yeah, definitely. It's it's we don't know it, we don't know exactly where we're going to go with it, but it's um, we've been given space to kind of figure that out a little bit, which right. is cool. That's cool. I got I got one more for you before okay. we bust out. You you cool with that? I am. So we just we landed kind of lightly on that idea. You know, I use that example of the grade nine student. The grade nine student, you're not going back to grade eight. You're not going to Mr. Jones's mm-hmm. class in September. Um, if I if I sort of I'm gonna I'm gonna elevate that to um, the shift you've recently made mm. from uh, it, I guess it's not from it's you've 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 shifted into uh, an, mm-hmm. an administrative role. And I'm curious about that that sort of almost that as a starting point to this combo. Let's see where it goes. But that idea that yeah, you're 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 not stepping back from the admin role. You're you're there. You're you're there now. <laughs> you're in. You're, yes. <laughs> you're you're in. And um, was was there a moment where you thought like I'm I'm you know beyond being handed the keys to the school, but was there any particular moment where you're like this is me now? Like I am now, I'm now in this role. Yeah, it's it's um, it's pretty incredible. I I. I've had long conversations with your wife about this. <laughs> We're in similar situations. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's uh, uh, not just one moment. It's 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 looping back to different moments, or, or these moments are surprising me throughout a week, a day, or, or whatever. It was like, oh my goodness, I'm a vice principal, and and, and when we went through the coursework and we went through our what we call the selection process in our board. I said to myself, I trust the process. I trust our system. If they determine I'm not ready for this step, then I will trust that and I will go back and I will you know, reassess the things I need to do. But then I was successful out of the gate and I was placed rather quickly after completing my coursework. And I thought my, my mind shifted to what were they thinking? <laughs> what, what are they doing putting me here? But it's just having faith that those who supported me through this process and those who saw something in me I didn't see it in myself, uh, knew that I was ready and I was capable and, and I had what I needed to start this journey and, and start on, start on this path and, and make this transition. So, um, so from, from time to time, I think, oh my goodness, wow, look at where I am. And, and this is really interesting. And, but I think, um, I, I approach everything or I try to approach everything I do professionally from a lens of service, um, I believe very much in the concept of being a servant leader, that I am here to serve the needs of my community and my students and my staff, um, or the staff I work with, my colleagues, my principal and my fellow administrators. So how, how do I do that effectively? Um, I need to know them and understand them and learn their context and, and advocate for them. And also, um, 
advocate for them, but also expose them to new learning when, when necessary or help them find the learning that the learning resources that they're interested in to propel themselves along their learning journey. So um, it's, I, I think if you, I, I think if I think of my position, if you think of the name of the position or you sort of elevate the position of an administrator too much, it can, it's easy to get away from that servant perspective. And um, I never want to do that. So I, I'm here to serve the needs of the school and lead in a way that um, is seeing the, just like we do with our students, we see the humans before us when we work with the staff we're in, in, and work with our colleagues, we're seeing them as humans first and uh, how do we support them and lead and, and also you know, be an agent of the board for which work <laughs> and and the ministry that creates our curriculum and sets our sets our um sets our visions sometimes there's and in the process i'm familiar with the process as you mentioned um yep my my spouse went through similar process and mm-hmm. um it's and and to sort of trust in the process was something that i was i was mentioning um in support of her uh, progression through this, that there's, there is a, this is, this is rigor. This, this is, Mm -hmm. there's, there's more than one person making a decision. There's conversations. There's a whole sort of backspace there that happens when you leave the table and people are trying to figure out what's best for you, what's best for board, what's best for kids. Like there's a lot of Mm -hmm. discussion there. This is what I imagine. I too trust (laughs) the process. This is what I put in there to say, I trust the process. Um, it's one of the things that, um, if I can puncture back through the process with you just for a moment, um, where are you reaching back to in your, your progression towards being in the process? Where do you find yourself going back into as like that? Um, like I can do this because I did this. I can, I can, I under, I see this a little bit because the process is tight, right? Like, what is it? Two years, a two year, like maybe less than a two year. If you do it really everything back to back to back. Pretty much, yeah, about two years between the coursework and then the... And that's tight because there's a lot, like when they, the weight of those keys when they hand them to you, like they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're like, they have the density of a star, I'm sure, like what has sort of the stuff that you're expected to sort of be able to manage with, you know, with the role. Yeah. So where do you, yeah. do you find yourself reaching back through, you know, this training, this sort of like mm-hmm. moment in time of training where you're like, yeah, you know what, I can, I can see how that particular experience kind of helped me out. Like that, that's, that set the shelf for me that I can put this learning on. Do you find yourself? Hmm, good re- question. Um, through the coursework, I would say the, the readings and the conversations and the speakers and the learning that we did really helped lay a good foundation of the concept of school leadership and uh, school context, everything from the operational needs to the, um, forming a team and working with a team and moving people along and, and working with people who might be resistant or navigating uh, challenging conversations between community members and teachers and schools and leadership and that sort of thing. So all of the sort of the conceptual, foundational, philosophical pieces that we uh, navigated through helped sort of lay that foundation. Um, but then at least in our board, we have a lot of, you know, policy, or at least our, in our in our province, a lot of policy and documents and uh, policy documents within our board so there's there's always something to fall back to <laughs> to be you know to answer a question or to look at a procedure or policy so that's comforting in the sense I have those resources um, 
But I would say that the conversations and the exposure to um, other people who are in varying leadership positions and having a, having a broad set of experiences myself within education um, helped prepare me for, um, for this reality I'm finding myself in now. Uh, but I, I, we read Brene Brown's Dare to Lead this year, uh, in, in the past year uh, as an administrative team, and really appreciated the book. A lot of things resonated with me. Uh, but one, one piece, sort of toward, I think it was towards the end of the book, and she's, she's profiling a particular um, industry leader or, or uh, executive, and in, in, in the very broad summary of what this person said, or paraphrasing, basically, I, I don't know everything, but I know enough to ask the right questions. And I think that um, that permission to be vulnerable, uh, that was definitely uh, instilled in us coursework, um, and then reading uh, writers such as Brene Brown, but to admit that and to be comfortable with, you don't know everything, and you're you're a part of this network uh, within our board and within our community that we can ask questions of, we can phone a friend, we can admit our vulnerability, and um, and 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 draw on the expertise or the experiences of others. It's, it's again, it's very comforting, and it's very very liberating too that I don't I don't have to know everything right out of the gates and I'm mm -hmm. not going to know everything but I know enough about the operational pieces and the policies and the why to my answer so when you, when you ask me a question or you're looking for something I can give you an answer but I can also give you the why and you and I might not like that answer and we may not see it as the best answer right now but this is the why behind it and this is what we sort of either have to do or this is um, this is what is going to be the most equitable use of resources at this time. Um, uh, having an answer, but also giving the why. And if I don't know an answer, I can say, I, I, I give myself permission to pause and, and to reach out to those people who can help me answer questions and, and navigate things. So, um, but I, I think it's just, I, I don't think there's one moment or one learning or one when reading that I did, that sort of said, yes, now I'm ready and I know I can do this because I did that. I think it's, I think it was that the whole package, the whole um, experiences that I've had and, and knowing that I'm, I'm such a new administrator. I'm, I'm going into my second year and I'm, I'm going to play that newbie card for as long as I can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, um, and just, just know that we're, we're all learning and none of us is perfect and the stakes may be a little high every now and then, but uh, um, that whole, uh, what is the phrase? yard work, you know, call before you dig and in sort of leadership, you know, call before you dig and, and make yeah, so. I like that too. And, you know, to, to tease out the Brene Brown um, example is that I also do think you, you shouldn't know everything. And mm -hmm. if that's, if that's part of the space of vulnerability, if you shouldn't know everything, by default, if you're curious and you want to learn more, you need to include, you have to be inclusive. So you have to bring, mm -hmm. bring things in, right? You have to bring things in. Um, and part of that, you know, that's the, the social currency for me of some of the mm -hmm. things that she's talked about is it's, it's not only a way to, you know, her vulnerability conversations are not only about kind of uh, rebuilding your own operating system, but also kind of opening your eyes to how you build inclusivity. So how you bring things in to help support what you shouldn't know. You really shouldn't mm -hmm. know. And realizing that when you don't need to know that thing anymore, then it's a matter of going back into that community to get 
the support again and you get this kind of elasticity um, and then sharing the, the, that, that vulnerability factor. That was part of my takeaway with that, that book. And it never specifically directed me there, but it just made me reflective of how necessary it is for me, even where I'm doing right now in the school that I'm in, is to just be able to walk somewhere and ask something. Mm-hmm. It's a it's mm-hmm. a complex for some people. It's a very that's a very complex uh, activity. As in, you know, there's a you know the preamble, the sort of the setup, that, like everything else that happens with that communication, it, it happens. Like social connections in a school, the timetable, like just be able to make those things. But for me, it's always taken of like for me to go and share space with someone to have that conversation and to just mm-hmm. say I I really have no idea how to do this thing, but I think absolutely. you can help me absolutely. And you've, you've heard this saying before, I'm sure, or seen it online, where the, the, the best PD is the teacher down the hall. Yeah. And that's true for administrators as well. Like to the things that I have the great fortune to experience uh, through the instructional practices and assessment practices of my colleagues in the classroom and seeing the great things that they're doing and the great things that they're interested in and, and what they're pulling out of their students. And, and it's, it, it's really um, exciting and I learn more about what their needs are and what great things they're doing and how I can highlight those uh, in ways that matter, either just publicizing it to the community or advocating for their needs or their realities. Um, And similarly, as an administrator, you know, your wife is one of my friends that I phone when I have a question or, or, and there's other administrators who are new or who are uh, more seasoned that I can tap into. And I, I wish that we had more, um, intentional opportunities for educators to take advantage of that in a formal and intentional way where you're not um, sacrificing your prep time or sacrificing your home time into uh, tapping into that person down the hall or in the next school or in the next in the next um, quadrant of our board. Like if I know that Mr. Clough is doing some amazing things in his community class, how, I, how can I as a teacher in the north end of the board get down to the west end of the board to see that observation, either through Google Hangout or through it's a, a real-time observation? I, I, that's one thing that's um, intrigued and challenged me in recent years is how, how do we build that, um, that opportunity for students, or sorry, for teachers and administrators to learn from one another embedded into their days um, and honoring the work that they do and, and the, the need for their, their prep time and, and their time outside of the building. Well, geez, I feel a collaborative inquiry creeping up. um so here's the last bits i love that um i love that you know you 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 name dropped brene uh any any other shout outs any other shout outs that you want to kind of just uh tap tap on the shoulder i know this is this wasn't on the question uh anyone that's listening this is not on the question framework it's just it's and it's I'm so bad at remembering names of authors and, and you can uh, go anywhere. Heck, I, you want to go back to your I, grade I, 11 art teacher. I've had people do that too. They're oh. like, Oh yes, that, you know, that teacher just kind of like, I still remember that lesson that they gave me. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just, a couple of things I'm, I'm just reading right now is the book spark and the author I don't know, but it's about the connection between physical activity and cognition mm-hmm. and the impact on uh, mood as well as mental health and, and, and learning. So that that's a book that I, I'm, I sort of pick up from time to time and, and read through. And then um, Jennifer Moss, who spoke at quest last year, um, uh, happiness at work. All right. And so basically 
more positive psychology types of uh, types of uh, material and how to intentionally embed that or promote that or support that in, in a work environment. <clears throat> so uh, those two pieces. And then I guess from a more personal, a couple of key moments in my life that sort of set me on my on my path professionally uh, was was when um, started taking special special education classes and 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 teaching special education. And so really that's where sparked my interest and passion in, in supporting students and working with families who maybe their their engagement with school and learning and life is going to be a bit more challenging than those that others may face. And and then also as far as leadership, my my then principal um, during a TPA encouraged me to seek out leadership positions in the board. I, I literally laughed at her and I thought, you're out of your mind. There's no way I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm not a, I'm not a leader. And, um, and she sort of turned it on its head for me. And she said, well, just think about it, marinate in it and remember that. And I, I told her all of the reservations I had about pursuing leadership opportunities. And, and she said, never, never make a decision based on what you think a position is going to be like. Do your research, shadow people, talk to people, and, uh, and that was very good life advice as well as professional advice. Never make a decision about what you think something is going to be like, but really dig in and, and uh, get better acquainted with something and, and make, a, make a decision with all your questions answered as much as you can. It's good stuff. Can I share one? It mm-hmm. just came to mind. Yes. So uh, it's in that spirit of um, me just not, not being a very good teacher in my, in my first year. Um, <laughs> this, this school, this past school year, um, a former student, a former student of mine, now not in my first couple years, I think she was, her name's Brittany, uh, not in the first, I think I taught her in my third year and it was in the hospitality class. So I had kind of figured out a few things, but she's my colleague. <laughs> she's on, um, she's on a, 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 a pat leave right now, paternity leave. Hmm. Um, and she'll be back at some point but uh, I got an email once I sort of got the position at the school that I'm at and it was from her and she's like is this the same person that taught me hospitality like 12 years ago I was like oh this is fantastic (laughs) so she's my she's my mentor and she thinks I'm hilarious so so so, uh saving just a little bit of face but I just I it's an it's an interesting kind of loop around uh, um Mm -hmm. It's kind of like getting the cards from the board as you make it through certain uh, gateways of service, <laughs> Teach, teaching right. one of your students, uh, or mm-hmm. you know, sorry, uh, having a student come back as a colleague is one. I'd also say having yes. a, a former student, a colleague that either gets married or is having a child, I think is another one. Like you just feel yourself, mm-hmm. I am becoming the older teacher in the room, so... Yes, yeah. it amazes me how much younger teachers are as I go. Oh, over. I was just at a just before we ended the school year, we were having a little bit of a, a baby shower, and I'm standing. I'm actually standing there with another teacher that I'll say I was kind of connecting with them because I was thinking they're an older teacher too, and I'm like, man, I remember when I was sitting in this room too, like having our, <laughs> like the teachers rallying to give you gifts and stuff. So, growth. Yeah, growth and gray hair. Yes. <laughs> Deb- Got a little bit. Deborah, thanks for hanging with me. I'll ask, is there, if, if any people want to reach out, have other conversations with you, any spaces that uh, they could reach out to you? Uh, via Twitter probably would be easiest. I don't even know my 
address. I love it. I do, I do the same. I do the same thing with my mobile phone. So we'll say, what's your number? And I have to pull it out. And I don't know. I can include it in the notes for sure. Please. Yeah. I, I think it's probably something very creative, like Deb Ostring or Deborah Ostring at whatever Twitter. So if you, if you just search my name on Twitter, you'll, you'll find me. It's not a very creative handle. I, guess. I love it. Well, you know what? The clearer, the better. I actually say <laughs> really that helps the clearer, the better. So it's at D Ostring on Twitter. There, there we go. Yeah. I just, I had our message board up, so I just kind of flipped over to it. Well, very cool. Enjoy the rest of, uh, of the rest of your summer time. Thank you. You as well. And uh, yeah, that whole collaborative inquiry thing. If you want to talk about that, let's connect in September. We'll see if we can get some, get something on paper. I'm curious about that too. I love the idea of um, both mm. not only sort of cross school, but cross uh, cross panel sharing too just to kind of figure mm-hmm. that out. It's Absolutely. it's really, I'll say, it's really hard to find people that are open posting things, let's say, in that shareable fashion. It's 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 difficult to find. Well, I think, it, I think it's a time factor. We're all so busy. Like as ed- educators, we are very busy. So to find the opportunity to do something like that and post it via Twitter or elsewhere. Um, so how to make it more fluid? Of, the question is how to how make, make it fluid. And how to, how to how to create those opportunities that are genuine, um, that aren't an add-on right, to our very busy days. I'm down with that. You good? I'm good. Are you good? I'm, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Have a fantastic day. You too. Take care.